Hello and welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. It's uh, Randy. And, and I, Mike. Yeah. Wow, that was really hearty. Thanks, man. Throaty. Oh. Only a pack of Marlboros could bring that voice out. Yeah, yeah. That That's the, uh, you know. <laughs> that's the old whiskey and gravel. Oh, yeah. You ain't a kid. <laughs> no, I, I was feeling a little under the weather, but uh, it was non-COVID related. It was a plain old ordinary head cold. Yeah. Uh, which really gummed up the works and made like uh, podcasting on our proper day not really plausible. But now that my head has largely cleared, <laughs> as clear as it's going to get. Yeah, well, that's saying a lot for us. I've got my mojo back, man. I was was it ever left? Oh, well. Yeah, I felt like I lost my mojo, no. maybe. Uh. <laughs> but now we're back. Yeah. So, hey, uh, welcome to the show. We're uh, here, sort of, I guess, recorded <laughs> before a studio audience of cats and puppies. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I've had worse audiences. <laughs> true. So, yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, Severely true. We're going to talk about today... The Game of Thrones 10th anniversary, it's, uh, we're going to kind of do a little retrospective on the TV show and the book, and also the fan community as well as gaming in Game of Thrones, both pro uh, post Game of Thrones and before the Game of Thrones show, when it was on, and uh, Green Ronin put out a game for that, so uh, I have some PDF copies and I've been perusing them. Um, a lot of good stuff in that, but uh, we'll get into that in a minute. We also have some call-ins, so we're just going to get right into it with Jason calling in about our last show, Gamer Side Hustle. Hey guys, Jason here. 201 was a great episode. We are indeed in the golden age of gaming, no question about it. You know, from all the availability of games out there now because of you know, drive through RPG, DMs Guild, whatever. Although I would recommend people doing DMs Guild to look for other options since Wizards kind of screws you there. But that said, even with old games, right, you can buy legally Starfaring, Ken St. Andre's sci-fi game from 1976, the second ever sci-fi game. You can legally buy that now as a PDF. Who would have thought you, that would ever be available again? So it's a great time in gaming. Um, and yeah, I, I really think you hit the nail on the head there. As far as a creative space, if you want to make money at your hobby, for personal reasons, I don't. Although I, I am probably going to enter um, the one-page dungeon this year, but there's no money there. That said, for all the people that do want to earn a little side scratch, now is a better time than ever to do it. I, I mean, heck, I spent... I'm embarrassed to say how much money I spent on Zine Quest Three this year supporting... And primarily supporting new creators and, and new gamers. I, I, I did a ton of projects, tried to buy the print copies of them, and a ton of those were first-time creators and new people just trying their creative hand. And I, and I want to help people do that. And I'm, I'm privileged enough to be in a position I can spend a little extra money to do that. So, yeah, it's a great time for gamers, 100%. Great topic, and I look forward to your next shows. Thank you so much. Ah, yeah, thanks a lot, Jason. Yeah, that you hit the nail right on the head there. That is, uh, we do live in a golden age, and uh, whether you're doing it for fun or you're doing it for a little extra scratch, that's you know totally your call. But yeah, uh, DM's Guild, the Johnstown Compendium, the Miskatonic uh, Compendi- uh, Repository, excuse me. Uh, yeah, just a note on that that just this week somebody put out a nice little. Uh, how they got published by Chaosium and picked up as a regular contributor now to their adventure line. So, uh, through Miskatonic repository. Oh, so. and I gotta say, fantastic deep cut, Jason, uh, in, in, uh, in communications with us, uh, heard one of the best deep cuts of all time. Yeah. Ken St. Andre's, uh, star, star quest or goodness gracious. What oh, was it? Star player? Uh, yeah. But, Ken St. Andre's 1976 outing uh, in the science fiction fantasy gaming, the second science fiction fantasy slash, or, you know, science fiction RPG published. Uh, And, oh my gosh, you know, what a forgotten jewel. Okay, there's something that uh, I have never 
seen a physical copy. I have only ever... Starfaring. Yeah, Starfaring. Starfaring. I have only seen written reference to it, and what a fantastic point to make that, like, once again, this is resurfaced on PDF, uh, and this, you know, wonderful tidbit left over from the, like, birthing of gaming as a hobby uh, is now available, and people can get their hands on it. Yeah. That I, is the mark of a golden age. Right, and I can The old get... and the new are out there together in equal measure, and, you know, hey, thanks to Drive Through RPG for making that possible. And... I've gotten a copy of Griffin Island and Troll Pack for RuneQuest from Chaosium. That you know, those are yeah, you pay a pretty penny on Fleabay for them, but uh, oh yeah, if you want original printings, yeah, all right, that's that's gonna yeah, they're in uh, soft cover pocket. form, but hey, you got them, and uh, you know, you can get the maps online, PDF, and all that. You know, that's readily available there too. Um, hey, it is a great time to get some of that old school itch scratched. And get some of those uh, old publications that are not readily available in people's hands. So, hey, yeah, uh, great stuff. And also supporting, you remember a great point about supporting new, first time, pardon me, authors and people in the community that are just putting their foot out there. Uh, supporting them is really important. Amy Brunger made a great case for that. Geez, uh, this soda. Anyhow. <laughs> It, uh, I have glottal air. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now, that's actually a deep cut from the old Freakazoid cartoon. Yeah. Where uh, the announcer, uh, you know, like, they, they broke the fourth wall and had the announcer just having vocal difficulty. And it was such an inside joke that only people who were really into voice actors and voice acting would have stopped and heard the, you know, exchange go on with the narrator. And understood that that was a problem for voice actors. <laughs> that still cracks me up. Which is why the words, I have glottal air, uh, stick in my head for 20 freaking years. So, uh, <laughs> just to let you know what's coming up for our next episode. The augury has been cast and it divines da, 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 a trip to Lair of the Bitchin' Chimera. Yeah, we're going to be covering that one next week. And then after that, we'll probably do our Rod of Seven Parts from the second edition. Uh, retrospective as well. And then moving on to some newer stuff. With uh, Well, it's probably not going to be here in time for me to do it. But we're going to do a... Review of Griffin Island for RuneQuest after that. So we got a lot of good gaming goodness from new and old. Oh, yeah. And, uh, let's not forget. And, uh, Birthright, yeah, also Birthright and Spelljammer are coming up. We're going to cover those campaign settings. So we'll just keep you up to date as those come along. But, again, today we kind of put that on the back burner because we want to talk about Game of Thrones. So Yeah, the 10th anniversary. Yeah. And we wanted to be timely. Uh, because you know, like you can expect no less from the flatulent hill giant of gaming podcasts, right? And but before we get into that cut, we just want to touch on something here. It's come to our attention that our au revoir LSR, our two hundredth episode, has gotten some controversial views, and yeah. some of the folks feel that like we were a little harsh, or maybe we called out people, or wanted us to name names, or wanted to debate us on it. Hey, uh, if you felt called out, sorry. Uh, nobody who probably listens to us or is in the podcast community that we deal with is any of the people that should be worried about how we feel about the OSR. And I'm yeah. glad that a lot of people have positive feelings and influences from that time in the community. We had a different oh, experience. Yeah. We had a great time early on. You know, uh, a lot of enthusiasm. And, I mean, still, even now... Uh, firm dedication to keeping old games, if not 100% relevant, then at least bringing them back to people's attention so that they can be part of the process of inspiration for gamers far into the future. Uh, by podcasting them and mentioning them, we also help to create a, a permanent accessible record where these things get referenced. And... You know, hopefully that's of use to new and arriving DMs. Yeah. Hey, creativity is a pretty deep well. A lot of stuff can can go in there and, and be a part of people's imaginative process. Well, as I get into my 53rd year, I'll be 53 in June. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, yeah. You got to brush the dust off you. I know. <laughs> I'm, I, I get. I'm right behind him. <laughs> yeah, we work uh, on the theory that it's not how long we've been gaming, but it's the passion you show, and we want to encourage that. And we didn't want anybody to feel like that, and that wasn't our intent. But some people took it that way, and if they hold that view, well, um, in the words of Robert Butler, fuck them. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah, Damn, he dude. went. Yeah, he, uh, he kind of gave me a little pat in the back on that one. He's like, you know, I understand the intent you had, but he heard some of the stuff and he wasn't too happy about it. And he's like, you know, you guys do try to do the best you can with what you got, which we don't have a lot. Well, thanks, Bob. Yeah, Rob Butler there. Now, uh, we, we had a lovely uh, time doing that episode, but, uh, you know, I, I should probably expand just a little uh, on what it was like late for us as, as we were beginning to look at the decision to distance ourselves, okay? It was not uh, a widespread disappointment with OSR per se. And I got to say, the experience of being in OSR caused me to have a lot of empathy for the first time for new Catholic priests. Oh, <laughs> I, I know you got to stick with me here on this one. Uh, you know, it was like you get into the ministry and you, you, you know, sign on to the church and you're like, this is what your life is going to be about. And you're really excited because, you know, you really want to walk the path of Christ and, you know, you, you want to minister to uh, people who are in need and you, you want to, like, assist the bereaved and bring peace and comfort and the light of God to the people around you. You really want to do good things. And then you emerge out into society after that difficult training period. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're gung-ho for this. And you keep running into people who back away. You're like, oh, no, that, that's, that's nice, Padre. How about if, uh, you know, it'd be, be great to have a picnic and all that. But, uh, you know, if you don't mind, we're, we're not going to bring our kids. You're like, what? What? But I... I, I would never. I, what, oh, what the hell, man? Oh. Uh, and it's not that there are more bad actors than good. Okay, that's not the case. We're talking about a very small minority. But the incredible level of toxicity, you know, the damage done by that small minority has really made it hard for people who have good intentions. Uh, and it's that's a terrible shame. If this were an institution then it would be a thing that could be addressed and corrected, you know, that our, yeah. our participation could continue and we could try to fight to reshape it. This is not an institution. This is not an organization. It has no firmly fixed boundaries. There is no responsible parties. So as a like loose collective of similarly interested people, you know, we don't have that kind of relationship where we could make a huge difference in it. Uh, so instead, we've gone our own way, and we're going to support old-school-style gaming uh, in as many personal ways as we can. So right. the mission, you know, other people have let mission creep, uh, you know, redefine what we think of as a great idea. And we're not letting the mission creep. It's, hey, old-school gaming is awesome. You should totally try these things. And if you find stuff in them that is fun to harvest and make use of in the modern day, then yes, way to go. Awesome. But also keep your eyes open and your feet on the path of new stuff. Always be looking for new things because, hey, it's led me to some credible places. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, lately people are saying, I thought you were a Pathfinder supporter. And I was like, I totally am. Still. I'm still running a Pathfinder game and once a week, but I'm also running uh, RuneQuest and Traveler because... You know, it's just not nostalgia. There's brand new stuff, and I want to get back into that because RoomQuest, when I first was introduced to it, was from Avalon Hill. It was a little dry, and then later I picked up some of the older stuff lingering around in back shelves and in the half-off bins, and I was like, wow, this, the lore on this is incredible. Oh, the level of detail. I mean, you could really tell that the RuneQuest cats had this immense passion for world building. And Mike, with his uh, Numenestatics 
I oh, mis- uh, I mangled that. I'm sorry. Numismatics. Numismatics. I don't know why I have to put extra syllables in there. It's just a whole of mine. Anyway, yeah, he really uh, grokked to that whole the different coins, the different sizes, and oh. all the uh, the various uh, peoples, how they utilize different forms of currency. Yeah, as a numismatist uh, yeah, or a coin collection enthusiast. Uh, I am not so much fascinated by like individual coins per se, but the anthropological relevance of you know the the differences in the approach to currency, the design of currency, uh, also the, the economic relevance of the differences in weight and then the exchange differences that that creates from nation to nation and you begin to see the incredible complexity that you're dealing with and RuneQuest is one of the very few games that said yeah you know what let's run with that because you know complicated is awesome Uh, most games want a more stripped down simple thing and I appreciate that and I understand it from a ease of play and ease of learning perspective but RuneQuest was going for a whiff of historical realism and they really also went with the Bronze Age standards and Silver standards and a couple other things that made it unique. So, yeah, that that's why we're uh, I'm big into that right now because hey, you know, there's new stuff being published for it and it's really adding to the lore and people are discovering the game for a whole new first time and that's an exciting time for me. But nonetheless, uh, we also want to thank Liren, Liren from Update from the Middle Update. of Nowhere. Yes, and also Stuart C. Uh, Keep off the borderlands. Spencer. Spencer, I'm sorry. sorry. I don't know why I was going to say Stuart. Got that dead milkman thing going on. Yes. Spencer from <laughs> Keep Off the Borderlands. And, uh, Which, yeah. what a great name. I know. I, I just, I feel like I want to just launch right into the old Slade song, you know, Keep Your Hands Off My Power Supply. Oh, yeah. So keep your hands off my borderlands. Oh, Slade. Yeah. There's today's musical deep cut from, you know, like, Late 70s glam. So we want to thank everybody in the community for giving a listen to our podcast. And at least, uh, if you don't agree with our message there, at least you listened and you thought about it. So thanks a lot for that. Yeah. And uh, just remember, um, Rob C. and all the rest there, that we weren't talking about you guys. So if you got caught in the crossfire and you feel like that's who we were aiming at, no. No. No, we... Honestly, uh, nobody we have interacted via... You know, this show was really on our minds no. when we made this distinction over the last couple of episodes. Yeah, the few stink bugs that we talk about, and we don't want to name names because, again, that's, you know, we want to talk about the behavior, not the personalities. Yeah, I mean, I really, I, I don't, I feel cheapened by the idea of going after a person. Yeah. Okay, a, a form of conduct is something that, like, I have no problem going yeah, that is probably not a cool thing to do. That, like, that is to be avoided. Uh, but just, you know, baiting bears and you know chasing after tit for tat, it doesn't seem like a, it doesn't seem like a good use of the time we've got to podcast. Right. And so thanks a lot, Lauren, for oh, uh, your support. You're, is you're a so Welcome. Yeah, and the, the, the nice things you said that that really hit deep. You touched my heart, my feelings, so that I keep locked away. <laughs> and keep a tight grasp upon. Thank you. Yes, uh, we do wear our hearts on our sleeves here, uh, which was kind of a thing we promised we would do when we started this, was to never be so organized that we can't just say what we really think. Right. Um, yeah, that, and thanks to Robert Butler for uh, giving <laughs> me the freedom to just like... Well, yeah, I mean... He obviously is, you know, like not bound by any, you know, convention that prevents saying exactly He's what like he my thought. old first sergeant, you know. Yeah, they don't like you what you do, Patton, as a sergeant. Fuck them. <laughs> Thanks, Top. <laughs> Thanks a lot for your support. Don't mention it. Ah, oh, those Top Kicks. All right. So anyway, we are talking about Game of Thrones. So let's yeah, let's here. launch in. Okay, we're, we've yeah. covered the opener We've talked about Game of Thrones indirectly. Um, I went to uh, trucking school at the time, and I wanted to get a sleazy, cheap-ass paperback that I could just completely divulge myself into shamelessly and just discard. Oh, I remember that. So I went to the rack, as every good truck stop has, and there was uh, the very first one, which I 
goodness gracious, I can go to the bookshelf and look at it. But yeah, I got the first entry into the series. I'm like, okay, well, this looks like it'll be completely superfluous and non-engaging. You know, this will be like, you know, movie theater popcorn. You know? Yeah, I just All like, right. I'll devour this in a couple, uh, in, during my time here when my off, and I just need distraction to clear my head. And yeah, that was the wrong novel to pick up. <laughs> you know, when uh, a love affair was born, Robert Baratheon and the the uh, uh, start was just there reminiscing about their old fights of uh, getting rid of the Targaryens. I was like, my God, I have stumbled into something I did not know existed. And yeah, I quickly picked up the rest of them and uh, read them voraciously and then uh, when HBO announced that they were doing a live action series based on this I was like well you know this could be really awesome and that's where we're going to start is pretty much that what looms large in most people's minds when you talk about Game of Thrones is the TV show yeah I mean wow okay uh, look the books themselves were a marvelous affair and in many respects uh, you know, they, they formed most people's opinions of the series, uh, the, the readers formed their opinions based on the actual books themselves. And there are some strong feelings about alterations in plot, which, uh, the show made, but, uh, the greater point is that they were surprisingly good works. Okay. These were terrific works of fiction by a guy who like had a very gaming mentality right from the get-go. I mean, right out of the onset. Yeah, as I understand it, was based off a GURPS game that they played at the Hugos, where all these authors would get together, including Walter John Williams. Yeah. And they would play it out in kind of uh, turns and when they could get together and meet up. Um, he claims that he has his own system, but... You know, whatever, he's never really come... George R. R. Martin plays his cards close to his chest on a Never lot of trust things. a smiling DM. Yep. <laughs> so he says the games, uh, the novels were roughly based off the interactions of the various houses, and that's what he wanted to set up was a uh, War of the Roses type thing. And I think at the core of it, that's what the attraction is for the political machinations, because it has almost that... It lends itself, even if it is in an imaginary world, it has an air of authenticity that is hard to duplicate outside of historical fiction, which can be dry. And here he uh, weaves in magic, lost empires, ages past, and... Subtle magic, too. You know, yeah. magic is not ever present in your traditional high and fantasy And yet it's returning type. again, slowly. It is. It plays more of a... It has more of a presence in the rising crisis... Uh, than it has had in past centuries. So you're you're seeing this resurgence of magical influences and forces in a world that the great majority of people have no traffic of any kind with that sort of thing. Uh, which, it, in the spirit of a low magic campaign, uh, it still has that flash to it. It's exciting when it happens because it does not happen every other page. Right. Uh, and well thought out by Mr. Martin. I, I got to hand it to him. It, unlike when you suspect that something is going to be generic world building, uh, people slap something together. They give a few quirks and traits. Uh, you're like, this nation is like this. This nation is like this. Uh, they don't really include a great many more details. Uh, in the case of Mr. Martin, it you could almost argue that there is perhaps an excess, but it's well and lovingly described, so most people enjoy picking up these extra details. But the extra thought was put in. It, it lends a, an air of realism uh, to the world that he created. And... Wow, what a loyal response it got. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, the novels were well-loved. Like I said, I picked up the first one, which was Game of Thrones, by the way. Shame on me for, for forgetting <laughs> that. But yeah, the very first one, and here I thought it was this big, you know, rambling uh, novel, and by about the 50th page, I was drawn in. I was like, um, I have made a dire tactical error here in my assumptions <laughs> this is not something going to be easily discarded and 
yeah, it was a great thing to read, and it was also uh, it was quite dynamic, and the, the community that was based around it uh, quickly grew, and it was just seems like a matter of time before a role playing game was going to come out, and indeed, it did. Yeah, just as the series got off about, I think, the second or third season, Green Ronin uh, came out with their Game of Thrones uh, story system. And, wow, it's pretty darn good. Um, They have their own house and well away from the prime movers and shakers. Don't worry, you won't get caught up in the Red Wedding unless, you know, you really want to play that out. But <laughs> Well, it's always possible if your DM is a douche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not emotionally over the Red Wedding. I know. Uh. Right, and then, you know, the TV show happens, and the first and second season were almost absolutely faithful to page for page, of almost not word for word, beat for beat on those very first that first novel. Yeah, there was very little variation uh, from Mr. Martin's original work. Now, you know, that... You get into the third and fourth season, you see a little bit more variance, but still very tight. <laughs> There's still some ups and downs to that, though. I mean, boy, Martin sure loves to kill the people you like. Uh, you know, Yeah, it, and that became... There's a... one lesson from Game of Thrones. Nice people do not win. <laughs> uh, and... You've got to be at least a little bit of an SOB or you're not going to make it in this. <laughs> you know, and also kudos for him for really showing and demonstrating to me as a game master how to make unlikable characters still sympathetic. And mostly some of the Lannisters. And uh, Tyrion is the easiest one to like, but even the old man, Tywin. Lannister, I found myself really like, what a utter bastard, but yet there's something about him that I absolutely respect, and his practicality and stoicism is Oh, it ran us into Edward Longshanks. Exactly, thank you. you know, yeah, uh, I was, uh, that. well, I was going to use that allegory later on, but you stole my well, thunder again. Great minds think alike, and inexplicably ours as well. But uh, <laughs> mm. I was going to say, what's your excuse? All right. So, <laughs> but yeah, so the, you know, the third and fourth season come in and man, did the community really grow and, you know, the excitement for the game was there, but I still didn't feel comfortable dipping my toes into that pond yet because I was like, man, there's so much that's open here. And I know that the novels were slowly being revealed. And we're still waiting for the last one, by the way. And then... Well, by the time the second season of Game of Thrones was largely underway, Game of Thrones fever had struck the nation. And I I remember feeling a sense of amazement Mm -hmm. that this had, like, become the water cooler show. Uh, That didn't exist, you know, decades ago. Or even, you know, well... It's been, you know, what is, this is the 10th anniversary for yeah. Game of Thrones, but uh, uh, since its TV inception. And in the decade prior to that, you really can't think of any fantasy fiction style, yeah. you know, TV shows that have ever had that kind of impact. Now, there have been very successful movies, certainly. Uh, there have been successful video game franchises that, like, really pushed wider into the marketplace like World of Warcraft or Skyrim uh, than ever before and crossed over into like finding users from other genres. People who were doing first person, you know, uh, action games only would cross genres and go, you know, this Skyrim thing is pretty awesome. Well, that happened with Game of Thrones. We had this sea change in the way people perceived what media was okay to watch and a lot of people's maiden voyage in watching a fantasy, you know, RPG style type show was Game of Thrones. Right. And wow, what an impact. Lord of Rings movies had just ended, just right at the uh, turn of the century. Yeah. And, oh, or began, excuse me. And, you know, those three years were heady years. And a lot of people were really stoked by that. And there was a call for more. And I think HBO was right to go with Game of Thrones. It was a large volume tomes, or a large volume of tomes and stories that could be utilized quickly for TV. But 
around about the sixth season, the cracks started to really show. And, you know, sixth season was good. Seventh season, it was all right. People were willing to forgive it because the eighth season came out. And then the eighth season was... Well, let's just put it this way. Whatever you thought about it, nobody talks about Game of Thrones anymore. After the eighth season, like, nope. It, it just it turned from this large, almost pop culture explosion that, you know, you, you could see Game of Thrones merchandise almost everywhere. People were talking about it all over the place. There were magazines and news outlets devoted to it. and Knickknacks, toys, gugaws, whatnots, you know, just... Yeah, I have a whole closet full of t-shirts. Oh, yeah. Um, of Game of Thrones stuff. And eight season ended, nothing. Yeah, there was an enormous backlash of resentment, okay? I mean, it, there was, it was not the, uh, you know, swelling music at the end of Star Wars, you know, Return of the Jedi, everybody's happy, and, you know, everybody's... Uh, th- this was not one of those peaceful endings where everybody came away feeling like they'd gotten the resolution they'd wanted. Uh, nobody got that. Mm-mm. Now, I was not as upset as some because, one, uh, I didn't anticipate any loyalty to the books, and there was no ending to the books yet. So, uh, I, I literally, going into watching the show, I didn't apply any biases. I said to myself, just, okay, let's kick back and see what happens. And I had actually... <laughs> Uh, inexplicably, I have no way to explain why I did this, but I held out forever on watching these shows. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, it was, I think, five seasons in. It was the fourth season, and they were having that marathon when we were living in Dunning. They were having a marathon. Of I didn't watch the marathon with y'all. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. My ex up in Holland, uh, I went up there, and I, you know what? In the spirit of candidness, uh <laughs> It was one of those moments where I had a break, and I, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities for at least a few days. So, I went up to Holland, uh, did a wake and bake, <laughs> and then we marathon watched uh, uh, four seasons <laughs> worth of that show. <coughs> uh, and I rarely get to do that. Because I'm normally Mr. Like responsible, got to go to work in the morning and got to climb ladders and, you know, carry heavy things. So uh, my head is always clear. But not that weekend. Uh, I had a fantastic time. We got like through a, what, a season and a half in one crazy two and a half day session. Uh, and I was in love with it. Oh my gosh. Uh, the, the absolute addiction just yeah extra salty movie theater popcorn just can't stop munching oh oh god there's no such thing as enough and that loyalty may have carried me through all the ups and downs of the series but even i was disappointed by the final season yeah i I really felt like there were some high points i still from now, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, I know. I still liked how Arya killed the off the Night King because I totally saw that one coming. But, you know, like, everybody was like, hey, how she just run in there? Hello, rogue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Backstab. <laughs> You're distracted. Yeah. Uh, never turn your back on the rogue. Uh, you know, sorry. Uh. <laughs> it's gone. And... Yeah, you know, I don't know that the book will really solve a lot of that, but I think it will fill in the details. What I heard, or from what I hear, and this is from several uh, fan sites dedicated that, you know, there's a different style of battle at Winterfell where they just don't send the Dothraki into the undead horde. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's, you know... Master military arts speaking here. That's not how I would have used those guys at all. Yeah, I know their strength is to fight out in the open, but uh, you got a different way of utilizing your medium cavalry. Anyhow, but still some good stuff out of it. And the uh, multi-firing ballista and uh, dragon breath just destroying stone. Yeah, okay. I think they were trying to wrap it up. I really think that's what really was with the victim there. But nonetheless, it was... Is okay. 
Yeah, I, I got the impression that they blew so much of the budget on, uh, like, <laughs> some of those uh, end of seventh season, uh, beginning of eighth season uh, scenes that they they didn't have as much left to work with as they thought. Uh, but that's just a personal impression. Yeah, so let's talk about the gaming. Um, right now, now, you can go get the uh, bundles of uh, holding and get some of the green Ronin stuff for pretty cheap. And... It's well worth the investment. The quick start rules are really good, and the system isn't too hard to tackle. So if you're really in the mood for, you know, revisiting Westeros, that's the game to do it. And not only that, but just the lore involved that where this is where gaming shines when they put the attention to detail that a writer often leaves in the marginalia of their work. It's often overlooked, and I'm not even going to try to say it's often overlooked by the hoi poi or the uh, plebs. Yeah, it's just, it's easy to miss, but gaming focuses on that. You want to know what people eat, how the coins and economy work, what types of different weapons and styles are used throughout the realm. And this book, these books give you an in-depth of that and how to create your own Nova House alone with its own livery and colors and Penelope. It's extraordinary. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, just the idea that color and patterns just basically take geeking out to old medieval lore that would have put you to sleep back in seventh grade in uh, world history. This type of heraldic is championed inside the Game of Thrones game. And I think that it's important to say that the character building that George R. R. Martin <laughs> built... In the words of Patton Oswalt, <laughs> you know, if my family had been in like an ancient noble house, our our family crest would have been uh, you know, a bag of Cheetos, a pair of eyes rolling, and the word <laughs> fuck, fuck, yeah, line. It would have been seen fleeing from all the great battles of Europe. <laughs> Legitimate eye, non carborundum. Uh, yes, don't let the bastards grind you down. Or uh, the livery of the, the ancient household of the Hannas. Uh, um, how did that go? Uh, per ardua ad alta. Mm -hmm. Through difficulty we rise. Fortuna brava formato. And fortune follows the brave. And that's that's the patent one with the uh, from Frederick the Great's time. Um. But yeah, everybody can link back to that in some way. And yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. It's definitely very nerdy. But it's also fascinating from a historical perspective as well as that it's in a fantasy realm. Yeah, they pulled as much of the authentic material from Game of Thrones into Green Ronin's game. Yeah, like possible. the Iron Bank itself as an institution separate onto all governments. Like, that's, you know, any DM would be well accorded their props for coming up with such an idea and managing wealth among player characters in noble houses oh yeah uh, find something to do with your gold other than sit on it and guard it you know uh, yeah and the sad fact that the glanisters had no gold <laughs> and everything was on credit ha yeah all that splendid appearance of wealth for a family with nearly empty minds, you know, just a trickle flowing out of what was once a mighty river. Yeah, and when we talk about birthright, um, I also think maybe George R. R. Martin might have peaked his eye into a couple of those supplements because it reminds me of each noble house had a certain yeah. power. Oh, absolutely. Or uh, character, like the Stark's ability to have kinship with wolves because part of their past, they were skinwalkers. They could actually assume the shape of wolves. Mm -hmm. We in the distant past. And that and the Great Wall and many of the mysteries inside the world themselves made it seem like not only a plausible world to live in, but one that you could empathize with and even start to explore. Where I think the hook for a lot of people that got, and where we're trying to pull this in with the role-playing game, is a lot of that minutia intrigued people to explore more and that kind of opens the door for like, well, if you find this out on your own, you can also imagine how this could be utilized in a new story. And if you're going to start telling stories like that, well, role playing's just right around the corner. 
Hey, you like Game of Thrones? Well, here's a game where you can do all that stuff and more. I, I hesitate, but I feel like I must use the term. Oh, it was a gateway drug. Okay. <laughs> you know, True. It, it was... Uh, if Lord know. of the Rings was the basic, you know, a rave party of fantasy. You know, it's the... <laughs> uh, yes, but Game of Thrones was uh, the kid that smelt like burnt rope that was hanging out outside the gymnasium. Oh, you know. boy. Hey, man. Want to try some of this? <laughs> yeah, if you're a little too shy to go full in on <laughs> the full frontal nerdity of Lord of the Rings. Then Game of Thrones was for you. And while it was a cultural craze, uh, it created a lot of backlash interest in, hey, if I liked this... Uh, and you begin to see one of the impacts that social media and social media marketing techniques started to make, uh, where the entire Spotify-type concept of everything online mm -hmm. these days, if you like this, oh boy, let us introduce you to this, this, and this. And man, you know what? You cannot underestimate the power of that, because the backlash from Game of Thrones popularity... Again, this was one of those tides that lifted all the other boats with it. Mm. Yes. And, wow, I'm starting to feel oh. whoa, dizzy. Oh, whoa. no. It's like something's taking over. A little I... eye wreathed in flame. Oh, no, no, no. That's a different eye. Okay. <laughs> yes, you'll find yourself failing your saving throw. And oh. once again, the arcane eye casts its eldritch gaze on you. And so welcome. Once again, to the arcane eye. Uh, today, the arcane eye casts its gaze upon the anime 5e Kickstarter. Now, I bring this up because Mark McKinnon over at Discami Publishing was the original... Yeah, these are the people behind the once upon a time critically acclaimed Big Eyes Small Mouth Game of Anime. Uh, I have actually played this uh, at a convention, <laughs> and it was not my usual fare. Okay, I, I will just admit that point blank. I, who at that particular time eschewed anime almost entirely, uh, was looked at askance by all of my companions uh, for playing this and enjoying it. Uh, but there was a particular reason is that I had met somebody at the con who was really adorable. And that was the game they wanted to play. And so I joined that table. Uh, and, yeah, we, we spent a large chunk of that con running around together. So uh, while my friends looked askance at first, like, what is he doing playing that? Oh, oh, it's about that. Yeah, okay, that explains it. Uh, but non-sarcastically, I had a great time. And I did not expect to. I, I played a game because I had the hots for somebody. And I turned out to have a terrific gaming experience with a very fun DM. And uh, in the tradition of Big Eyes, Small Mouth, uh, this is a, you know, almost GURPS-level expansive attempt to bring all anime tropes into a single gaming product. Right. So... And I ended up uh, the following year playing uh, Cold Hearts or Cold Hands Dark Hearts, which was the Vampire World of Darkness crossover for that uh, system. And uh, they conned me into it by giving me Helsing, a clone called Deroiter the Devil, who his whole his whole shtick was. You're immortal, you don't even know how old you are, and you can't die. So all you want to be is thrilled, whether it's between being the pursued, the pursuer, the hunter, or the hunted. It doesn't matter. You're here to have a good time, and you want to feel something, even if it is fear again. Uh, because it would be so nice to break up the monotony of millennia uh, by feeling something as exciting as fear at last. <laughs> and so, yeah, we played a whole bunch of vampiric tropes, including the uh, Vlad Tepe's of more historical fame rather than the uh, Bela Lugosi vampire. But yeah, the, all of the, the tropes were there. Uh, and so we had a really good time. We formed a super group of uh, 
Uber vans. Yeah, vampires who were just out to have a good time. Didn't and zero fucks given. So that was uh, that was my introduction. I'm like, yeah, it was a really great game and it's a good system. So yeah, here in the realm of the arcane eye, where time and space are meaningless, you find yourself trapped and unfortunately here with us so we thank you for joining us but we'll return you back to our normal realm avant avant arcane eye i cast thee out i cast my despite in thy teeth pa ah. <laughs> well what, what happened ah, you've been freed from the grasp of the arcane eye oh wow that, well, that was a fun trip though <laughs> so, thanks. so yeah uh, as we talk about it all tides lift boat all boats the rising waters lift us all up. I think Game of Thrones was responsible for a large increase in people's interest in fantasy gaming. And it's a shame that the season ended the way it did. And it casts a lot of doubt on whether anything can be further done with it. Whether the novel comes out or a new series. <coughs> I think that there's a lot of potential there as a gamer. And yeah, the burnout factor was so bad that the spinoffs that had initially been bandied about and planned... Uh, collapsed. I mean, we honestly expected, as season eight was unfolding, to see spinoff shows kick off from this. Uh, and as it turned out, the rancor was so great that, you know, people dropped the entire show like a hot rock. I mean, mm -hmm. like, okay, we came, we saw, we made it to the end, we fulfilled our obligation, but now we're done. And a tragic ending to a great, massive enterprise. Yeah, I'm always going to be really fond of the books, and I have uh, pledged to reread it this year at the tenth year at the tenth anniversary. But um, you know, it uh, we have some Blu-rays up on the shelf of the first seven seasons, and I don't think we have the eighth. I oh, I like, can't say I blame you. Yeah. You don't want to stain the shelf. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't, but I didn't we, hate it that much. But I find myself, uh, when I watch the first season, getting so melancholy towards, you know, knowing how it ends, that it makes it hard to watch. And, you know, I think that maybe, it, given some time, uh, we can give some retrospective back to uh, maybe a redo, as some people talk about but I don't know if that will solve anything, really. So my advice is it to, if you really want to give it a second look, and you should, in my opinion, give the role-playing game a whirl or, you know, just take the parts you like. The political aspect is transferable from one fantasy world to the next. Oh, yeah. In the finest tradition of DMs everywhere, steal, steal, steal. Take ideas. Uh, make them a part of your campaign. And it, if we can say that Game of Thrones had one po incredible positive influence beyond just spreading general interest in gaming, it brought to life more than anything before it uh, a hunger in this time period. The way Birthright, which we have spoken of before, yeah. brought the political game and brinksmanship uh, into gaming proper. Game of Thrones made it normative to include significant political aspects in gaming. Uh, to have nations and individual families and merchant enterprises interacting with one another, uh, both positively and negatively... In a regular game, and you might still have the dungeon bashing going on and butt kicking in the in the streets, but you also had these. Well, like Sir Davos was a smuggler's son, and he his background came very valuable. Yeah, as it and, turns out, mighty handy. And that is a good lesson to any DM how to take certain backgrounds. That hey, you're creating a rogue in a nobles campaign. Well. You know, uh, my character's moved on from that. But, you know, okay, well, here we're going to take that background that you would like people to forget about and reuse it. Well, and what was the Pathfinder, the title of the Pathfinder campaign that we were in? War of the Crown. War of the Crown. I mean, this, I'm not going to say Game of Thrones ripoff because it was entirely different in, in structure. Okay. Uh, a great, such a large volume of things were different that I cannot cry plagiarism of any kind. Uh, but being a politically motivated campaign with these enormous forces 
uh, all at work, uh, both you know, like uh, houses of faith and uh, you know royal families and uh, in yeah, let's see, interloping other nations. Yeah, uh, Extra-dimensional entities. Yeah, all of these things, this confluence of forces is happening at the same time. And the players then navigate their way through all of these, resolving conflict after conflict, some by combat, some by like negotiation, uh, others by acts of bravery, winning loyalty, uh, sometimes with just straight-up bribery. You know? And intrigue and assassination. Yeah, yeah whatever we're talking about takes. you, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you put a quick end to that negotiation, you just kill them. <laughs> Negotiations have closed. But we haven't started. Doesn't matter. <laughs> what happens when you uh, backstab somebody in their sleep? Yeah, it does not pay off well. Uh, well, that massive influence altered the scope of what people see as viable for their game. And I totally approve uh, so whatever disappointment we may have with the end of the show, I think it put this huge thumbprint on gaming that is like it has not faded at all. The, the popularity of the show faded, but the influence it had has not faded at all. Yeah, it, it's it may have faded from the mind of popular culture and people moved on from it to something new, and that's fine. But at the same time, its influence still it can be felt. And, hey, for any series, I think that's a crowning achievement. And I would like that to be the legacy of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Personally. A far better legacy than than the, you know, I mean, why concentrate on the negative for the ending? Exactly. I'd much rather think, hey, you know what? It brought a lot of good times in, brought a lot of gamers into the fold, and uh, did not... You know, far from doing harm to gaming, it literally brought nothing but a tidal wave of good with it. Yep. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us. And hey, uh, thanks for this little retrospective. Hope you enjoyed it. And of course, as always, you can leave a message on Anchor or you can take that favorite button and quietly convince it that it's... Take it into a dark alley. (laughs) Just wield a sack of potatoes and just wail on it until it complies. Oh, <laughs> oh that no. took a far dur- darker turn, but barely dark, less dark than where I was going. Convince it that it should sign over all its property to you and then abandon it in a dark alley somewhere, <laughs> leading out its last. But, yeah. Um, yeah, favorite our podcast so you can get all the updates when we put a new one out. And as always, keep those calls coming in. We enjoy hearing from you. And thanks to everybody for all your support. Here, our 202nd episode comes to an end, so may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.